the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Today is the uh, next to the last in a series called Put the Hammer Down. It's meant something every single, different every single week, a different uh, meaning for that same phrase. Uh, for those of you that are brand new today uh, or, or you just missed one or maybe you've been here every time but you forget already, really quick, here's where we've been so far. First off, we can't follow God until we put the hammer down in the sense of a gavel. We make a landmark decision that here and here, once and for all, every decision is going to be based on what God says. God determines our moral boundaries. God determines right and wrong, the direction of our life. And then whatever we like or don't like or feel or whatever on the other side of that landmark decision, we have to submit to God. We talked about that part of that means that we have to embrace his rhythms that he expects us to actually get some work done and spend six days a week actually doing stuff not only just to make a living but actually to build his kingdom we need to be intentional about that but part of his plan is that periodically we put the hammer back down and we remember who he is and who we are and what life is about and we reset and we refocus and we get back to work in a fresh state of mind Sometimes we, we have to remember that if somebody's coming at you with a hammer, that's probably all they've got on hand. They're probably panicked. That's the only weapon they've got. We talked about defensiveness. And if the only thing that you're doing is just fighting back when somebody confronts you, you, you need to put that hammer down. Maybe that person who hates you and judges you has something to tell you that God wants you to know. You just never know about that. But when we fight back, it never does any good at all. Last week we looked that we have to use the right tools. Sometimes you need a hammer, but sometimes a hammer is not what you need. Sometimes you need a screwdriver. Are you with me? Sometimes you need something different. We need to use the right tools, whether that's as a group trying to learn new songs or trying to reach out in different ways more, uh, or whether it's uh, just using the gifts that God's given to each one of us. Well, today here's what it means very, very simply. It means get the job done. There's a nail out there with your name on it, and God's giving you a hammer. Start hammering. Does that make sense? Get the job done. Put that hammer down on that nail and let's go. Francis Chan tells an amazing story. I, I don't think I'll even need to unpack what it means. I, I think you'll, you'll figure this out for yourself. But, but he asks the question, actually. He says, what would happen if he told his daughter to clean her room, and then he went away to work or somewhere, and he came back, and the room wasn't clean, but she said, yeah, but Dad, listen, I had some of my friends come over, and we studied room cleaning. We, we talked about all the different ways to clean rooms and what's most effective and how to organize closets. And we talked about which one of us is good at different areas of that. And man, if we ever clean our room, we know exactly how it should be done. He says, would I be pleased? He asked the question, well, oh, what if I came home and she said, Dad, listen, um, the room's not clean, but I want you to know I have studied a lot. And I can now say, clean your room in Greek and in Hebrew. Would I be pleased, he said. Craig Rochelle says, the decisions that you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. I love that. I want, I want to say that one more time. The decisions that you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. 
One of the stories we've touched on several times in the last couple of weeks, and we'll touch on it again next week, I believe, is the story of Moses. There's so many wonderful things in this. It's a familiar story, but I want you to notice a couple things. The reason that Moses is even alive, the reason he, he survives his birth in a season where the government of Egypt was killing all the Hebrew boy babies, is his parents put the hammer down, if you will, and they said, this kid is not going to get killed. We're going to do whatever it takes to keep this boy alive. And he ends up getting adopted into the royal family of all things. Many years later, he is a bad example that we use, talking about being defensive or rushing ahead and, and just not really asking God for his way. I don't know that he actually used an actual hammer to kill the Egyptian, but he just rushed in trying to save a fellow Israelite, killed somebody and messed things up. And for 40 more years, there was no rescuing Israel. But thank God, and this is blessing to any of you guys, I want you to know this, thank God, God always is in favor of putting down the hammer that he wants us to be saved. And in Moses' case, he said, no, I will save my people. If Moses would have turned him down enough, he would have picked somebody else, right? But he would have saved his people one way or another, and he wanted to use Moses. And so he gave him chance after chance, and he finally meets him in the burning bush. And I don't know about you, but if God went to all that trouble, and I would love for him to, I would love to get to talk to God in a burning bush kind of situation sometime. That would be fun. But I'd be scared to death, wouldn't you? It amazes me that Moses, after everything that he's been through already up to that point, argues with God and says, there's no way, I'm not the right guy. And they have this argument. In Exodus 4, verses 1 to 2, it says, Moses answered, what if they did not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. I love that God uses for Moses the same thing he uses for each of us. Whatever's in our hand. Most of the time we already have it and we don't realize it. Or at least we have access to it. For him, literally, it was a staff in his hand and his actual hand and the coat he was wearing. And these were all tools that were, he was going to use to do miracles to prove that God had sent him. But he keeps arguing and he says, I can't talk well. I, I, can't, I can't speak well. I, I don't think they'll listen to me. And God says, who made your mouth? Who made anybody's mouth? Who are you to question me? Who are you to mouth off at me? Are you serious right now? But he still lets him do it. My favorite verse in this whole story is, is Exodus 4.20. That's, this is where we're going to get started this morning uh, as we look at exactly what I believe God's calling us into today. Exodus 4.20 simply says, So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. I'm going to read that one more time. Listen to the language here. See if you can see why this is such an amazing spot in the story. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The rest of that journey was kind of crazy. They had to circumcise their sons. His wife didn't like that. It was this whole complicated thing. As they're going, they're 
slowly recalibrating. As they're on their way, they're still praying and they're afraid. Things are different. It's going to take Moses a long time, the rest of his life, to actually totally submit to God. But notice what happens here. He started. He got his family. He put them on a donkey. He didn't wait until they got a camel, which would have been much better for the job. They had a donkey. They used the donkey. Are you with me? He put his family on the donkey, and they headed off to Egypt. He said yes. He saw the nail. He realized he did have the hammer. There was no saying God anymore. He put the hammer down. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you this morning, I don't know what God's calling each one of you to do, but it has to start with you simply starting. That's it. That's where it starts. You have to take that first step. It begins there. Another great first step happens just a couple of uh, weeks later. Probably it took a while to travel. But you see Moses and Aaron, because remember, he didn't, God gave him Aaron because he didn't want to do it or didn't think he could do it alone. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Because Moses was willing to obey the team got assembled, little by little, they had started this process of freeing God's people. Erwin McManus writes this, The craftsman understands that beauty and excellence are found in the details. The details are formed by how we choose to live minute by minute. The artisan understands that the journey is marked by steps. One of the things I love about our our congregation here is how many incredibly creative people there are. And I'm not just talking about the artists, the people who can paint and draw and act and write and sing and play instruments and all that stuff. I'm talking about the people who can build, who can fix cars, who can just create a, a whole party out of their imagination. There's so many different directions, so many ways that God has gifted us. And I know that we've only scratched the surface of what he wants us to do as a body because of that. Because whenever God gives us something, there's a responsibility that comes with it. When God gives us a gift, it's a gift that he wants us to pass on. When he gives us a tool, somewhere there is a nail with your name on it. Does that make sense? And I think it's so exciting that we, we understand that. But again, those of you that are craftsmen, you're artisans, in any sense of that word, you know this. It starts with one step. There was a moment, those of you who can paint incredibly well, there was a moment when you picked up a paintbrush and dipped it in some paint and went for it. And you weren't as good as you are now. But that was the day it started. Does this make sense? And there was a day you picked up a screwdriver or a wrench and popped the hood of that car and went for it. There was a day that this started. And that has to be it. But some of you have been serving for a really long time. Some of you have been faithfully following God and using your gifts for a really long time. Hallelujah. But it doesn't start. It doesn't just stop with the starting. It keeps going. It doesn't end there. This is why we're going to say this together. Say it out loud with me if you would. Become an artisan. An artisan is a craftsman. And there's no sexism in that term. It's, it, an artisan is somebody who is good at what they do. 
They're creative and intentional and they take it really seriously and they take it to a whole nother level you don't even expect could be there. Are you with me? They're skilled, they're intentional, they're effective, they get it done. You know how to become an artisan? Here's a couple of really practical terms. If you're a note taker, you might want to write these down. If not, I think almost all of them are already in the sermon outline slash Bible study that's always there. But just listen to this. Uh, let this percolate. This is how to do it. It's not easy, but it's fairly simple. You work hard. You practice. You apprentice yourself to somebody. In other words, you find somebody who's better at what you're doing, even if you're really, really good. Even if you've been doing it for a long time, you're always looking for somebody who's just a little bit better, and you're going to learn something from them. Or somebody who just started, but they're doing it a fresh new way you never thought of. But you're always trying to get better. You persist. You stay at it. You study. You grow. You refuse to settle for however good you are right now, even if you're really, really good already. You admit and you learn from every mistake you make. You're not defensive. You don't try to defend yourself or defend your stellar reputation. You admit it when you fail and you learn from it. And at the same time, you celebrate and learn from your successes. You don't pretend they're not successes. You don't try to downplay them. You go, yeah, and join me. We could all do it even better if we're a team. And you learn from the successes. Why did that one work? All these other times it didn't work. Why did it work that time? What could we do the same next time if we know that? Surround yourself with others who share your vision and share your passion. Who share your value of excellence. Who share your God-given passions. We're all about getting done what God wants done and getting it done right and getting it done well, and getting started today, and staying on it until it's complete. Craig Rochelle, again, he's a great uh, leadership expert that I read and follow on blogs and everything a lot. He says, the key to success in any organization is identifying and developing and empowering the right people. That's a great strategy if you run a business or anything. It's a it's, it's, it's great strategy. But I think it's important this morning we remember that that's exactly the strategy God uses. I don't know. If I were God, I think I'd just do it myself. I really do. I wouldn't trust a bunch of other people to do it for me. <laughs> but he does. He does every single time. Ephesians 4, again, I hope this is super familiar to all of you, and especially if you've been here the last several weeks. So Christ gave himself the, I'm sorry, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When I was uh, taking Greek at Johnson University way back in the day, we spent a couple weeks on one word. There's one Greek word I had to research so deeply on this one word. It's spudazo. It's translated several different ways because... It's such a deep and complicated word. But you find it, one of the key places in the scripture, you find it is 2 Timothy 2.15. Uh, this translation, I think it's the NIV, says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, 
a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That phrase, do your best, some translations say study to show yourself approved. Some of it say grow or some other different way. Spudazo is the word there that's translated either as study or do your best or whatever else people are trying. But it means everything we just said about how to become an artisan all at once. We don't have an English word that means that. It means relentlessly pursue getting it right. Stay at it. Study. Apprentice yourself. Never settle for anything less than your best. All of those things. It's, it's, it's a continual, relentless, growing process. And that's what we're supposed to do to present ourselves to God as somebody that he goes, hey, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. We spend our whole life doing that. We can't even get there at all unless we start. But once we start, we stay at it. Are we tracking so far? This isn't rocket science, but if we don't actually do it, we're wasting our time. It's so important that we hear this. This week we was talking to somebody about uh, playing guitar and uh, reminded them that practice, they say practice makes perfect, but that's not entirely true. Practicing correctly makes perfect. If you practice it wrong, you're going to be really, really good at doing it wrong. If you practice periodically, you're going to be really, really good at procrastination. Probably not so much at guitar. Practicing correctly makes perfect. And that's the sense that Jesus uses that term when he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It, it, this, this concept of perfect it means mature, it means complete, it means a bunch of things. But it's also a progressive term, kind of like spudazzo. A, a newborn baby, if they've got all the toes and all the fingers and they're breathing and they're crying and pooping and all that stuff, they're perfect, right? But a couple years down the line, you're hoping there's going to be a, a few more things going on. And a few more years after that, you're hoping for a few more things. Something's not perfect if, if there's not continual growth. Jesus loves you as you are. If you're here this morning and you don't even believe in Jesus, I don't know why you're here, but thank God you are. I want you to know he loves you as you are. You don't have to change anything for him to love you more. But he's asking you to start the process of becoming like him today. He's asking you to start the process of following him. And along the way, once you put all your family on that donkey and you head to Egypt, are you tracking with me? Along the way, you're going to learn how this works. You're going to learn more. Yeah, you're going to change. He will ask you to change every day, the rest of your life. But he already loves you as you are. There's so much beauty in all of that. And I just wanted to say it out loud. C.S. Lewis says, the only fatal thing is to sit down content with anything less than perfection. The, the day that we start settling for anything less than our best is the day we start to die. In that sense, that's a really, really terrible thing. But on the other hand, do you remember the old Tim McGraw song about living like you're dying? What if we all lived like that? Some, a few of you remember, if you don't, he goes, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. You know it, right? This guy, he's, he thinks he's going to die, and boom. He does all the stuff that he'd been wanting to do for all his life up to that moment. 
Then he finds out he's not going to die, but he lives the rest of his life better than he ever did. He loves sweeter, gives forgiveness to those he'd been denying. He says, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. That's what this looks like. To be on this journey. That's what it looks like to to be an artisan at life. To actually try to do your best. To actually use the time that you're given as well as possible the entire time. Erwin McManus says, The artisan understands that when life is a work of art, when we value our craft, when we embrace the elegance of workmanship, it is in the details that we experience the divine. I love that because I've always been told the devil's in the details, right? <laughs> and, and we all know what that means. If you ever started a word project or something at home and then you have to go back to Ace Hardware and then come back and then you go a little bit further and then you have to go to Lowe's and come back. You know what I'm talking about? Those little details just drive you insane. That's, that, that's a thing too. That's real too. But when we face all the details of life and we actually get better at it, we, we, we see the intricacies, we look deeper, we get better at what we're doing. And every day we're living this way. We actually see the face of God in the details of how we actually do minute by minute, day by day, week by week, year by year life. I'd like you to say one more thing together. We're going to wrap up uh, here in a second. But let's say this together. This is the third thing. We start... And we become an artisan. And here's the other thing about how to get the job done. Say it with me. Stay the course together. There's a guy in this church, and many of you joined him for part of his journey. His name is John Bilbrey. He's done the entire Appalachian Trail. He started when he was in middle school. He's just a little bit older than I am. He just finished a couple years ago. Okay? And along the way, several other people joined him, primarily this one friend that he, he and had started with him back in middle school. But it wasn't too long ago, they finally got to the very end. They kept going back, picking up where they left off, going back, picking up where they left off, going back, picking where, until they finally finished the thing. That's what it looked like. And on that day, some of you in this room, I think, were with him on that final leg of the journey. It was a big celebration. His wife had this huge celebration and showed pictures of the whole journey. It was, it was really, really, really cool. Very inspiring. And that's what it looks like. Eventually, eventually, we're all going to have a moment like this on the other side. Eventually, we're all going to have a moment where God, I hope, says, well done, good and faithful servant. But that's only going to happen if you start, and if you stay at it, you become an artisan at living that way. Christ's plan is designed to grow. If you notice, every way that Jesus described his plan, his command that we spread the gospel, build his kingdom, had to do with growth. In Acts 1.8, he says, start in Jerusalem, and then go to Judea, and then to Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the age. In Matthew 28, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's going to keep growing, keep exponentially expanding. This is always his plan. 
We go to where people are and we serve them there and we recruit them into the family and then they grow from where they are and it spreads out and it just keeps spreading out and spreading out. And anything less than that is not the plan. Another great Craig Rochelle quote for you. He says, if you want to reach people nobody is reaching, you've got to do things nobody is doing. Again, let me remind you of the one I showed you earlier. He said, the decisions you make today determine the stories you'll tell tomorrow. Well, today is our ministry fair. Today, when you walk out there, there's not much way to miss it unless you're really, really trying hard. <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of people inviting you to use whatever gifts you have been given. And some of you have literally been gifted with things like hammers and screwdrivers and, and all that. We, we need that. Uh, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to highlight just one of these because he needs so much help. John Machino needs your help if you'd be willing to help with building and grounds. I'm telling you right now, okay? Anybody, male, female, whatever skill level, we could use some help there. And every single one of these ministries really needs some new people and some fresh blood. God has given every single one of you some gifts. We've even got a thing out there where we're looking for new ideas and things that need done that we're not doing yet. Nobody's doing yet. Maybe he wants you to lead that. Maybe he wants you to tell us how we can and then join that team or something. We've got all of that. But we're inviting you today, please, start. If you've got a hammer, there is a nail with your name on it. Today is a moment where you can put that hammer down. And if you're really good at a bunch of things, maybe today you need to go and cross your name off of two or three of them that you're doing and focus on the one you're really good at so you can be an artisan at it. Maybe you can do all of them. That'd be awesome. That'd be even better. But don't wear yourself out. Do what God has called you to do. This morning there is a call on your heart this morning. I guarantee you that God is telling you something if you're listening. He might have told you before I even stopped talking, started talking this morning when we just had that little prayer. I'd like you to stand right now and pray that prayer one more time. Say, God, what do you want me to do? What steps should I take this morning? And brothers and sisters, I'm asking every single one of you this morning, whatever step that is, would you take it? For some of you, that's going to be very private. For some of you, it's not going to get you anywhere unless you get some accountability. And you're going to, as soon as you leave here, you're going to need to get some friends that are going to help you on that journey. Some of you, it needs to be something that needs to be public. Some of you just want prayer. If you come forward that we have people that are dedicated to come and just pray with people, you can come and pray right here, right now with some people that care about you and know how to connect with God really easily. Whatever it is that God's asking you to do, okay? So again, let's just be still. I'm going to stop talking. Ask God, what do you want me to do? And then as we sing, do it. <laughs>